Time to express yourself where teens talk and the world listens. Presented by Star Style Productions as an international outreach program of Be the Star You Are charity. You'll rock to an hour of adolescent fusion with your teen hosts and on air reporters. Meet and chat with cool celebrities, exhilarating experts, and tenacious teens with subjects regarding anything and everything that you want to know. It's time to kick off the fun with our star teens. Welcome to Express Yourself. There is no force more powerful than a woman determined to rise. Dubois. Hello and welcome to Express Yourself. We're a program by, for, and with creative young people. A platform to give teens a voice, right here on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. From Cynthia Bryan, producer of Express Yourself and Star Style Productions, we bring this program to the airwaves as an outreach service of the Be The Star You Are charity. A top nonprofit honored by GuideStar and great nonprofits. Be the Star You Are once again wants to thank everyone who has volunteered and supported BTSYA over the years. We are thrilled to be serving the world. If you'd like to help us celebrate during a top nonprofit with a donation, please visit btsya.org. That's btsya.org. Every dollar counts, and we will use the funds for our outreach programs. Make sure to listen to Express Yourself wherever you listen to radio or music. iTunes, Amazon, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, and more. We broadcast from the Empowerment Channel on Voice America Radio, the largest radio network in the world. Hi, it's just me today, and I'll be discussing body autonomy, the effects of the Dom's decision, repeal of Roe v. Wade, a topic I am personally very passionate about. So hello everyone and welcome back to my segment, Empowerment and Equality. My name is Hannah Sahoda, and I'm your host today on Express Yourself Radio with Be The Star You Are. Today we'll be talking about a subject that I am particularly interested and fascinated about, a legal decision that absolutely shook the nation to its core and honestly, showed the dystopian path America has decided to go down towards this time of political change and growth, the Dobbs decision, which entailed the repeal of the U.S. Supreme Court cases of Roe v. Wade 410-US-113 and changed American women's lives significantly. Now, you may be wondering, what exactly is the Dobbs decision and what is the case of Roe v. Wade even about? I'll be explaining that right now, because fundamentally understanding the concept and drive behind these cases will further showcase how unethical and counterproductive the Dobbs decision is to body autonomy and the threats it can pose to bodily health, privacy, and justice in the court system as a whole. The case of Roe v. Wade did not just happen on a whim. There was a historical context and pressure that resulted in the case being proposed to the Senate and Supreme Court on December 13, 1971, by a woman, initially under the alias of Jane Roe, to protect her identity and who was an unmarried pregnant woman. 
Before this case opened, abortion was strictly banned, irregardless of the contraception. It was due to rape, incest, threat to life, or personal choice. Women would often have to travel to places like Sweden or Spain or other countries in order to get a safe procedure. And for those who didn't have the financial means to do so, often resorted to dangerous makeshift abortions performed by less than credible individuals. So, interestingly enough, this stern law regarding abortion didn't really affect or reflect the American public's opinion on abortion. Many of them, in fact, supported the idea of terminating a fetus in order to save a woman's life. According to the Brennan Center for Justice, this is due to, quote, Beginning in the late 1950s, thousands of babies were born with a severe birth defects after their mothers took the morning sickness drug thalamide while pregnant. The most well-known case was that of Sherry Finkbein, a host of the children's television program Romper Room, who was forced to travel to Sweden to obtain an abortion. A Gallup poll showed, perhaps surprisingly given the legal backdrop, that a majority of Americans supported Finkbein's decision. And this wasn't too surprising at the time, because right after this, there was a terrible epidemic of rubella, which is a contagious disease caused by a virus that's also more commonly known as, quote, German measles, which produced infants of six mothers that had very visible and common side effects with disabilities such as deafness, heart defects, and liver damage. This environment truly illustrated that both mothers and infants could be affected negatively by the choice of banning abortion. And now, high-profile doctors, such as Alan Guchmacher, became outspoken about how an abortion should be treated like other medical procedures rather than being influenced by religious or moral reliefs. Doctors emphasized that the decision should be between the woman and doctor in private, as physician and patient in this case, to prevent untowards interference or malpractice. Now, legalizing abortion was in the public eye, which initially made a path for the Road v. Way case to be introduced, piggybacking off of cases such as Griswold v. Connecticut, Isant v. Bard, and the United States v. Vuich, all cases that have important decisions during this time, leading up to the main effort to decriminalize abortion. So first, I'm going to give some background knowledge on these cases, starting with Griswold versus Connecticut, which was presented in 1965 as an oral argument. There was a prior ban on contraceptives and their distribution in 1879 onwards because of something called the Barnum Act, in which, when appealed by Estelle Griswold, the executive director of Planned Parenthood was fined for distributing the first oral contraceptives approved by the CDC. So, you're wondering what was the result of this case? Well, based on the Fifth Amendment, freedom from self-incrimination, the Ninth Amendment, other rights, as applied against the states by the Fourteenth Amendment, created a general, quote-unquote, right to privacy that could not be unduly infringed. And this was noted on the PBS 13 channel. And this is so important because right to privacy is a phrase that is used now, in discussing the Dobbs decision and Roe v. Wade. And this marked the beginning of an era of change for sexual and reproductive rights in the United States, according to Planned Parenthood. So basically, it was a big win during that time. 
And then along came the United States versus Vuitch. V-U-I-T-C-H. It has a very complex name. And it was a U.S. abortions right cases in which the Supreme Court stated that the specific District of Columbia's abortion law banning the practice except when necessary for the health or life of the woman was not unconstitutionally vague. And this basically means that they believed it should be only allowed when the woman was in peril. A step backwards for sure, but a step nonetheless. Okay, next was Einstein versus Bard. And this came right after, a year after, 1972. According to the Legal Information Institute, quote, The court held that a statute preventing unmarried people from obtaining contraception was unconstitutional. The court found that unequal access to contraception from married and unmarried people created a suspect class in violation of the Equal Protection Clause and the right to privacy as discussed in Griswold V. These two cases also heavily reference the Constitution's right to privacy and self-individuality for the American people. The significant overturns and changes were really the things that set the foundation for Roe v. Wade to initially succeed. Now, flash forward to what I was talking about to the beginning of this podcast, where Roe v. Wade began, December 13th, 1971, up until 1973, actually, in which abortion was legalized and allowed women to regain a new sort of bodily autonomy over their own beings. In Roe v. Wade, the landmark U.S. Supreme Court ruling recognized the right to abortion as the choice of an individual, not to be influenced by the government on the basis of the 14th Amendment's right to privacy as a fundamental right. No longer would women have to do unsafe, unregulated abortions or buy and bargain to get an abortion. There were much more safe and effective ways now. So the women who are, quote-unquote, Jane Doe, previously anonymous, is now known as Texan woman Norma McCorvey, who had become pregnant in 1969 with her third child while struggling with substance abuse of alcohol and drugs, in which she did not want to continue her pregnancy after relinquishing custody of her first two children. However, at the time, Texan law wouldn't grant her request on the basis of U.S. versus Weech, which we went over prior, entailing that women couldn't get abortions until they were in life-threatening danger for health conditions. So, Linda Coffey and Sarah Weddington, two women lawyers, filed a suit that eventually made its way up to the Supreme Court, in which Miss Weddington prepared for the case of her life, a case that quite literally held the lives and hopes of women in the balance. According to the Brennan Center of Justice, Weddington, quote-unquote, built her case for the constitutional right to abortion around the Ninth and Fourteenth Amendments, arguing that, quote, meaningful liberty must include the right to terminate an unwanted pregnancy. Her opponent, Henry Wade, a seasoned attorney responsible for convicting the assassinator of um, JFK and his team of misogynists. He, in particular, didn't quite have a stance on abortion, but his assistant attorney, J. Floyd, sure did, opening the case with a bad line of, quote, It's an old joke, but when a man argues against two beautiful ladies like this, they are going to have the last word. The bafflingly inappropriate comment was followed by three seconds of dead silence throughout the courtroom. As stated on record by BC, who would also list some quotes from the cases I found amusing, 
It goes as followed. In the middle of the case, when Floyd argued that a woman who becomes pregnant has already made her choice, Justice Potter Stewart shot back, quote, maybe she makes a choice when she decides to live in Texas. The retort brought roars of laughter from the gallery. The Supreme Court, after hearing both parties out, ultimately decided upon the 14th Amendment that abortion was a fundamental right for women, focusing less on the, quote, morality and right or wrong argument the defense had to offer, and instead leaning towards Sarah Wellington's argument on a biological and case-level basis. The establishment of Roe v. Wade created an era of reproductive safety and prosperity for women having a significant decrease in maternal mortality and injury from self-performed abortion techniques used when the method was still outlawed. However, this all came to an end when the disappointment of a Supreme Court created the Dobbs decision on June 24, 2022, taking away the constitutional right to abortion and abandoning almost 50 years of precedent and paving the way for the states to also ban abortion. Now, according to CAP20, instead of feeling safe, nearly, quote-unquote, 22 million women, only of reproductive age, not even elderly or children, reproductive age, so that's almost one in three women in the United States, found themselves living in states where abortion was unavailable or severely restricted. And I'm going to make one thing clear. It's fucking bullshit. The individuals in the Supreme Court are hypocritical right-wing pigs that passed the Dobbs decision and overturned Roe v. Wade in order to exert more control over women, especially those in lower socioeconomic statuses. Because apparently, taxing contraceptives and making women's health care and reproductive access already hard to manage and access with things like the pink tax and oh, not none of them being over-the-counter and extensive rules and laws wasn't enough for these evangelical b-words. Evil people. Seriously, I'm gonna be talking about them later and they are actually insane. Like, elected through fishy means with shady deals and opinions going on behind the scenes which at this point i don't even think they're trying to hide since information about the conservative justices just keep flowing out seriously articles upon articles upon articles and papers upon documents these justices who were supposed to be fair and unbiased but are clearly not they need to go Seriously, because I know everyone in my generation that isn't racist or sexist or just has hateful behavior is practically praying for them to die off because, you know, justices can't even step down. They have to die or be subpoenaed. So it sounds harsh, but the justices have to either be kicked off or kick the bucket for our society to finally be free of the shackles of old, stupid white men who have lived forever and are still stuck in the old times. It is not 1960. It's tiring and it's frustrating. I remember feeling a deep sinking feeling in my heart after the Dobbs decision was announced. And a friend, well, now ex-friend, he had the audacity to say, Oh, why are you so worried? We live in California. It's not a big deal not a big deal are was he an idiot i think men will never understand the sheer fear and terror of getting pregnant by incest rape assault and then being forced to conceive 
something you never wanted rather than women just planning it out carefully prepping themselves being ready and financially stable to want a a baby pro-lifers lack basic empathy and it's honestly so 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 disgusting they cannot fathom the pain or suffering of others so blinded by their own privilege and ignorance that they feel that their behavior of treating women like breeding hubs is acceptable it's not it's putrid i have friends who lives in texas and southern states and that decision made me worried i literally fear for their safety So that friend who told me, why does it matter if you're in California, I told that friend to never, ever talk to me again. Because if you're pro-life, I cannot even stand to be around you. Human rights are not a casual conversation to have. And those who think that their opinion is like a little game while toying with people's lives are not only privileged and delusional, but hateful and unaware. I personally cannot even fathom or imagine the suffering that would come with having a baby after getting raped or sexually assaulted or suffering from domestic violence or spousal abuse it would ruin me quite literally ruin my life that is why i am pro-choice because i love women i don't want them to live in fear because of a few old hags who desperately want to reduce change it makes me angry and it makes me close to tears and that's perfectly okay like we can cry about it but we have to keep fighting I quite literally cried the day the decision was passed out of grief for all the women whose rights and livelihoods were stripped away in that very single moment. It felt so surreal. Like I saw it on the news and I couldn't even believe it because I know me and my whole family. We never thought it would even get this far, much less approved. And it's not a joke. It's not something to look over or put under the rug And the effects are so, so prevalent in today's society. Here are some statistics and cases that illustrate the severity of the Dobbs decision on women's autonomy and safety. I'm only listing a few, by the way. So, 64,500 rape-related pregnancies are estimated in abortion ban states in the span of, guess, one year. Ever since the Dobbs decision, that's one and a half years. The Dobbs decision was fairly recent in 2022. Texas was the leading numbers with an estimated 26,000 rape-related births out of the total. It's upsetting. And keep in mind that this is only the documented rape-related births. This disregards incest or, heavens forbid, non-documented rape which highlights a serious, serious problem. Men are utilizing the bigots in the Supreme Court, grown men, to now prey on women regardless of our age. Children, early teenagers, brothers and sisters, like they're all at risk because of this decision. And do you guys in the audience even realize how large of a number that is? And the statistic I just said, That's only entailing rape that results in birth, not rape that just happens, and God forbid, rape that is undocumented, which means that the numbers are even higher than I just listed, maybe even in the hundred thousands. That's crazy, that is insane, and that's something that our society should deem as non-acceptable. Like, here's another one. 
A 13-year-old girl who was raped was denied abortion by a judge in Mississippi, where the closest abortion clinic was in Chicago and too far away and expensive for her to access. She didn't even know what sex was. She was outside playing and a grown man raped her. And this judge looked her in her face, saw her in pain. Like when she had the birth, she said it was the most painful thing. The baby is named Peanut now, if you guys want an update. And her body is ruined. Her mental state is ruined. And all because this judge couldn't have one ounce of empathy and grant her a life, a childhood. She is a child. She's like 13. That's barely out of preteens. I don't, that's like middle, that's not even middle school. And this is a huge problem I've found, especially since I've been seeing as a young girl, especially, I wouldn't say young girl, I've just turned 18, so I'm in college, but pedophilia and rape and jokes about women getting harmed or like being denied, like, a, like it's all because of abortions. It has empowered these disgusting, putrid individuals into saying their opinions out loud. Because when the Supreme Court rules on something, it doesn't only change the law, it sets a precedent and a message. And this precedent and message is that women are not special or do not deserve to be taken care of. That is dangerous. That is so, so dangerous. And I can't even begin to describe the rage I feel. Like, it is... You have to protect your daughters, your mothers, your sisters, all because of this decision. It was life-changing because if they get pregnant, they are the ones who get blamed. That's how it's been since history. Women are always the ones that get blamed. And now it's in law. That makes it a whole new level of bad. And a quote from Biomed, which is a research paper, states, quote, The law's exasperate long-standing health inequalities in mississippi where black women are four times more likely to die from pregnancy related complications compared with white women according to the state's health department according to the gutmacher institute 60 percent of women who seek abortions are people of color and about half live before the federal poverty line and don't mistake this. This is just because of lack of accessibility to sexual health education with low-income communities, um, access to contraception, access to birth control, because the pink tax has made it very, very, very unreachable, especially with condoms, pads, menstrual cups, birth control, plan B. That is why so many more women of color and in socioeconomically declining communities suffer more at the hands of this decision in contrast to white women or women in rich communities because they have more support and they have more tools at their disposal in the first hundred days since roe was overturned at least 66 clinics in 15 states stopped providing abortion care many closing down altogether that means 29% of the total U.S. population of women of reproductive age are living in states where abortion is either unavailable or severely restricted. Half of U.S. abortion patients live with incomes before the federal poverty threshold, compared with only 14% of the full population of U.S. women aged 15 to 44. 
that is insane. And these are only a few examples, not even taking into account the tens of thousands of maternal deaths and miscarriages and complications that has resulted from the Dobbs decision. And looking at these statistics, it is clear that the conservatives, evangelicals, and right-wingers fake love for, quote, as they like to say, unborn precious babies is quite literally a fallacy to further oppress POC, individuals in low socioeconomic and dangerous environments, and women. Because if they really gave a hoot about a baby, they'd pay more attention to, I'll list some examples, children in foster care instead of cutting their funding and demonizing the foster care as non-Christian. They'd put an emphasis on gun laws to prevent school shootings for kids as young as kindergarten, but they sure do love their guns and their rifles and their AK-47s, don't they? They'd make sure every child, regardless of color, was informed of our racial history and educated on equality and kindness, rather than prioritizing white children and sweeping our nation's history under the rug for their feelings. Well... You can tell, like, in Florida, critical race theory has been banned, and DeSantis wants to ban psychology, so I can see where that is heading. And they'd focus on babies who are alive. Women were once babies. They are humans. They're real, breathing humans. And they'd focus on people, people with loves, hopes, and dreams, rather than an unborn baby, and rather than forcing some poor woman to birth something that she doesn't even want, simply because of their backwards religious ideals and brainwashing. That baby is not even going to have a good life. Many times it's because of financial decline, drug and substance abuse, or external problems in which the child goes into the broken foster care system that the conservatives always demonize and propose to cut funding of and get rid of altogether. It's ridiculous and downright archaic, like something out of The Handmaid's Tale. And the most pathetic thing is that most pro-lifers have no clue on anything medicine-related or how an abortion works relying on the misinformation of right-winger podcasts lacking any credibility and Fox News to tell them what a horrific and barbaric process abortion is for a fetus. Here, I'm trying to think of these podcasters atop my head, like Ben Shapiro, and they're so... Their names are so forgettable, I can't recall on the top of my head. Joe Rogan, that's who I'm thinking of. They just continuously spread misinformation and hate. And I've seen interviews when they're with actual scientists and the scientists, you know, maybe shut down one of their points or is like, what, why are you being so hateful? It's something to research and care for, not something to demonize and say, you're going to hell. You know, we need to have care and more information because I feel like a lot of these right wingers, they're very, they're vulnerable. A lot of them are old by the way, and they watch these TV shows where they're showing them gruesome fake pictures. I know in one debate on live television, the pro-lifer brought out a fetus in which, a fetus picture, in which it wasn't even of a human. It was of a dolphin. He couldn't tell the difference. That's ridiculous. They truly have no clue. So, 
I'll explain kind of the methods of abortion. So the website of Planned Parenthood, which is a great organization that provides services such as life-saving cancer screenings, birth control, sex education, and STD testing and treatment, including PEP and PREP to prevent HIV infection, infertility services, and more. Also, constantly educate and advocate for trans, women, and LGBTQ health. They're a credible organization filled with doctors and experts rather than blabbering, <laughs> blabbering white men who think that they're knowledgeable enough to speak on the subject. And these doctors are empathetic and kind, willing to help in times of these crises and contributing to the fight for women's autonomy, reproductive health, and political rights. Cool enough, if you remember back to the beginning of this podcast, I talked about how Estelle Griswold, the executive director of Planned Parenthood initially, led to Griswold versus Connecticut being passed, where contraceptives were be able to distribute it. Without that, we wouldn't have you know oral birth control, none of the shots, and none of the freedom that comes with it. So, Planned Parenthood was released research that showed that there are two types of abortion, completely safe and effective. The abortion pill that women can take to end a pregnancy and empty their uteruses was something similar to a larger, longer period. And there are in-clinic abortions that suck the fetal matter out of the uterus in a safe procedure monitored and done by licensed surgeons and doctors. So the misinformation about abortions being barbaric and, quote, bloody or quote, I saw this on a news channel once cutting into women's bellies, could not be further from the truth and is just another fear-mongering tactic employed by right-wingers and conservatives to further dehumanize people as actual people with goals, hopes, and important dreams. They don't want us to see women as people. And so I implore everyone listening that if you want to research women's health, Please don't rely on websites or social media pages, but go to actual certified medical or research websites facilitated by scientists or doctors or the government, because then you will get accurate and non-biased information. I honestly feel that most of these right-wingers are so brainwashed and adamant because they're fed garbage. They're fed garbage all their life to distract from main political issues. It's very cult-like and very obscene. And I feel like politicians do that way too much nowadays. And I'll also note some good resources at the end of this segment. So <laughs> my point is, if it's not your body, mind your own damn business. Pro-life losers need to grow up when talking about women's health. Because most of them are honestly lacking in life, not educated, and not very visually appeasing as well. Especially men, please stay in your own lane. How would you like it if I cut your penis off or forced you to get a vasectomy or didn't allow you to have sex because the law said so? You wouldn't like that, so shut your mouth about grown woman business. No uterus equals no opinion. If you can push out a baby, if you're a woman or a woman at birth, you know, uh, female to male in cases, then you can speak on these issues. It is the era of womanhood and woman's success and health. And we will always bounce back and persevere, no matter how the oppressors desperately try to turn back time. In fact, since the American Supreme Court justices have so much to say about women, 
we're going to discuss every single Supreme Court justice who voted for the Dobbs decision and see their own filthy scandals in past. So, this is a new section in my segment. I'm calling it the hot seat. It's a new section I'll add to my series that discusses, discusses every nasty politician, lawmaker, criminal, etc., etc. Because I found the one who seek to oppress people often have the nastiest backgrounds and secrets to hide. So, every Supreme Court justice that contributed to the Dobbs decision are Brett M. Kavanaugh, Amy Coney Barrett, Clarence Thomas, Samuel A. Alito, and Neil M. Gorsuch. <laughs> so these old hags are responsible for the suffering of so many. Let's see what accusations, alleged crimes, and controversies they're in. Spoiler alert! I found a lot. Let's start with Clarence Thomas. Justice Clarence Thomas, who was in the Dobbs majority, has written that Roe was, quote, grievously wrong for many reasons, but the most fundamental is that its core holding that the Constitution protects a woman's right to abort her unborn child finds no support in the text of the 14th Amendment. So, let's talk about his RV loan forgiveness and tax evasion, since he has so much to say about what's not allowed. So, in multiple documents and papers, Thomas allegedly never repaid a substantial portion of a $267,230 loan from wealthy friend Anthony Walters, which was used to purchase a, a luxury RV. There are questions about whether the loan was properly reported on his taxes. What's even weirder was the Koch Network Summits. So, these are like donor summits. And Thomas attended at least two of them for the Cock Network without disclosing his appearances or a private jet trip in 2018. Now, let's talk about his relationship with the Cock Brothers. Thomas reportedly cultivated a relationship with the Cock Brothers through repeated trips to the Bohemian Grove, a private retreat specifically for wealthy men. Hmm. I wonder what could go on there. And... The Cock Network, surprisingly, has brought cases before the Supreme Court. Interesting. And not only that, there have been allegedly gifts that Thomas has accepted, including paid vacations, private jet flights, sports passes, and more, from individuals like David Sokol, H. Wayne Huenzenga, and Paul, quote, Tony Novelli without disclosing them on federal forms. Next, Thomas reportedly received gifts from wealthy and powerful friends who are members of the Horatio Alger Association, including individuals with business before the Supreme Court. He accepted trips from GOP mega-donor Harlan Crow without disclosing them on his tax documents. He Crow also reportedly paid tuition for Thomas's grandnephew, and Thomas sold properties to Crow without disclosure. Ginny Thomas, who is Justice Thomas's wife, is a right-wing activist, raising ethics concern about potential overlaps with her husband's work, including involvement in cases before the Supreme Court. And she is a big problem. You think he's corrupt because he's hanging out with billionaires? Look at his wife. Thomas's wife received financial aid through a nonprofit advised by conservative activist Leonard Leo, who allegedly advised to conceal the payment's purpose. 
And Ginny Thomas, she not only did tax fraud along with Clarence Thomas, okay, quote unquote, allegedly, she also pushed efforts to overturn the 2020 election results while her husband was hearing related cases, leading for calls for Justice Thomas to resign or face impeachment. For everyone who's listening who may not be American, that is very, very serious. Justices are supposed to be non-biased and impartial. And this is a prime example of not only him breaking the law, but his wife also breaking the law. You could be subpoenaed for that if, if strictly proven. Which is why they were probably calling for him to be impeached. And January 6th. Ginny Tommy confirmed attending the January 6th rally in which conservatives and Trump fans stormed, illegally stormed, the Capitol and criticized the House January 6th committee. Justice Thomas has faced criticism for not recusing himself in a case related to further former President Trump's records. Surprising, I know. Recused, by the way, means you, uh, when a judge knows that they have bias, so they willingly step out of the courtroom and the case in order to make it as fair as possible. But in this time, none of them, none of the judges I'm about to say, have class to do that. So Ginny Thomas, you know, attended January 6th, took funding from a nonprofit, and she also formed a conservative group that raised funds from anonymous donors and their ethics concerns regarding Justice Thomas not recusing himself from a related case. Justice Thomas had, has allegedly made errors and omissions on financial disclosure reports, including reporting real estate income from a company that shut down in 2006. That's one year after I was born. That's crazy. That is quite literally 17 years ago. So he also has his demons. Clarence Thomas should pay his taxes, should maybe recuse himself from all cases, and get a handle on his tax-evading January 6th attending wife before he thinks he has the judgment to appeal for Roe v. Wade. I told you this was good. I told you there was so much. That is only the first Supreme Court justice. And this is all true. It's alleged, but there are documents you can go see. I wish I could link them, but if you do a Google search and you go into the government files and the FBI research, you will find most of the stuff I'm talking about. Okay, next is Justice Samuel A. Alito. So... His problem is with his ideology, in which he is not transparent or shy about it at all. Alito's records raises concerns about his commitment to protecting civil rights, liberties, human rights, privacy, and religious freedom. Troubling views on evidentiary standards in discrimination lawsuits, and he has constitutional safeguards in criminal justice. He does not want to protect Americans. So... I'll name some examples of his rulings that could be potential concern. Alito's 1985 application highlighted efforts to restrict affirmative action and limit remedies in racial discrimination cases. This is a very big theme for him. He hates when discrimination cases can be actually foretold and thought out. He doesn't like that. He doesn't like having a concrete one. I wonder why. 
And there are allegations that Alito's judicial decisions consistently align with the positions he advocated during his time in the Reagan administration. So, as you can tell, you know, against racial discrimination equals racist. So that is a big, big concern for most of the American people since, you know, there's not all white people. We're a mix of all races. And I'm going to talk more about his attempts to undermine anti-discrimination laws. There are major concerns about Alito's decision in race, gender, disability, and age discrimination cases, which allegedly places unreasonable burdens on plaintiffs. So he his excuse is he thinks that the person fighting plaintiffs doesn't want to have the defense of discrimination. Some examples include dissenting opinions in Bray versus Marriott Hotels, in which a black woman was racially profiled and kicked out, and he did not want to favor her side. Sheridan versus L. Dupont, Demonars, and Co., which was another case of a big company against a POC. He also has a pattern of favoring states' rights over protecting the rights of all Americans. And I'm saying states' rights in quote, in quote. He has an excessively narrow reading of the Commerce Clause and broad reading of the state's sovereign immunity, potentially undermining Congress's ability to enact civil rights laws. And this is no joke. This is no ha, he, he, he's racist. This man is a Supreme Court justice who determines the fate of Americans. Do you understand how serious and problematic this is? He should not even be elected. He has a tendency to defer to police and prosecutors, potentially at the expense of constitutional rights and civil liberties. As examples, you should look this up. I've and Everyone in the audience, I would highly suggest looking up each of one of these cases and looking at them in depth. There's Doe versus Goody. There's Baker versus Monroe Township where Alito's dissent favored law enforcement in brutality cases. Next, there are habeas corpus claims. Alito's record reveals a tendency to deny habeas corpus claims in the criminal justice system. And that is very, very serious because it plays a role in his immigration justices, criminal justices, deportation justices, and habeas corpus is basically a law term that means it's basically a law writ requiring a person under arrest to be brought before a judge or into court, especially to secure the person's release unless lawful grounds are shown for their detention. So basically, in in normal person speak, I'll drop the jargon and I'll make it a little bit easier. Habeas corpus protects people against unlawful and indefinite imprisonment. It's been a very, very historically important instrument to safeguard individual freedom against arbitrary executive power. And he doesn't like that, which means he does not like individual freedom and safety, which indicates a deeper level, which can be applied to sexism, racism, ageism, dis- uh, pe- projects against disabilities. Uh, it's it's ableist. It's ba- very concerning. And I haven't even mentioned his immigration laws yet. So... Alito, in his time in the Supreme Senate, often ruled against individuals seeking asylum, even when evidence suggested persecution in their home countries, in which they are legally allowed to apply for citizenship. 
Examples include Chang versus INS and Dia versus Ashcroft, where Alito dissented from decisions granting asylum. And expansive readings of the law and deportation matters to the detriment of deportees is practically his staple. He does not care. He does not like immigrants at all, no matter what the what the situation is. So some examples include Lee versus Ashcroft and Sandoval versus Reno, where Alito's dissents favored deportation. And keep in mind, one of these cases is where they were being threatened by a gang and his wife was repeatedly raped by said gang. So they escaped and fled to America. And Alito said, I don't care. You have to go back. If I was in your country, they send me back. He said that, quote unquote, in his words, which indicates a lack of empathy. So the overall concerns, I'll make this brief, is the allegation that Alito's record fails to determine a strong commitment to protecting individual rights and freedoms. And doubts raised about whether Alito would prioritize political agenda over the protection of individual freedoms. So I'll say that that's very, very concerning, especially when we consider he controls the amendments and constitutions, not just laws. And um, next is Neil Gorsuch. So Gorsuch is kind of in the same boat with um, Clarence Thomas. Gorshak attempted to sell a piece of land in Colorado for almost two years. And this land is important because it was eventually purchased by Brian Duffy. Who is Brian Duffy? He's the CEO of Greenberg Triergic, a law firm with cases before the Supreme Court. The sale occurred just nine days after Gorsuch's confirmation as a Supreme Court justice, indicating dirty play. Gorsuch made between $250,000 and $500,000 on the land sale, benefiting financially. Federal disclosure forms provided a space to disclose the purchaser's identity, but Gorsuch surprisingly left it blank. That's illegal. That is intentional withholding of information. And it indicates a potential conflict of interest. Greenberg Trierg had 22 cases come before the Supreme Court since the land sale. In 12 instances where Gorsuch's opinion was recorded, he sided with Greenberg Trieg on eight cases, raising concerns about a potential conflict of interest. And him, Neil's alignment with Greenberg, included a case that had repercussions for the Clean Air Act, suggesting a possible influence on legal decisions. There is just a lack of transparency. He has a failure to disclose the identity of the purchaser in the federal disclosure forms, which raises questions about his accountability and transparency, especially since he's in such a big position of power. And this makes broader implications for the Supreme Court. Similar to concerns about Clarence Thomas, Neal's financial dealings with parties connected to the Supreme Court raise broader concerns about the institution's integrity and the potential influence of financial interests on justices. Now we're going to get to the craziest one, in my opinion. The last two are the craziest. Kavanaugh, Brett M. Kavanaugh. Democratic presidential candidates were calling for the impeachment of Justice Brett Kavanaugh after new allegations of sexual misconduct 
during his college years were published in the New York Times. These allegations were detailed by reporters Robin Pjorgbin and Kate Kelly in their book, quote, The Education of Brett Kavanaugh. There are allegations by a lady, a woman named Deborah Ramirez. She's a Yale alumna and alleges that Kavanaugh exposed himself to her at a college party during their freshman year. What a scumbag. Ramirez's account includes details of a drinking game where she was repeatedly targeted to drink and a fake penis being thrust in her face, followed by a real penis, as in Kavanaugh's. Ramirez's allegations were made available to the Senate Judiciary Committee, but the committee determined that her allegations were not relevant to the confirmation process. A severe lack of judgment I don't agree with. We do not want sexual predators. There are enough sexual predators because of the new abortion case. We don't want more sexual predators making these laws, and it explains his decision very well. So, this is the relevance of the background and impact on Ramirez. The reporting emphasizes the importance of considering Ramirez's background, including her strict Catholic upbringing, financial struggles, and Puerto Rican heritage. The alleged incident with Kavanaugh contributed to Ramirez's sense of inadequacy and humiliation, impacting her career significantly. And President Trump, and we all know his reputation with respecting women, like a sleazebag, he tweeted that Kavanaugh should consider you suing for libel, expressing disbelief in the accusations and suggesting an attempt to influence Kavanaugh's opinion. And you guessed it, he also has alcohol abuse. Sexual abuse and alcohol abuse. Double whammy. Alcohol abuse is highlighted as a common theme in Kavanaugh's history, with the investigation pointing to a different side of him emerging when heavily drinking or trying to impress friends. Like a loser. He's a loser. Kavanaugh's upbringing in a largely male environment is discussed, and it is noted that he may have relied on alcohol to feel more socially relaxed. And I don't like the end of the reporting because it suggests that in the 36 years in the alleged instance, they said Kavanaugh has matured, become a family man, and promoted women in his professional life. Which is not true. Family men cheat and they lie. Just look at Jeffrey Epstein. Like, it does not make any sense. So there are varying opinions in politics on whether past behavior, even if it occurred in youth, is relevant to the character of a Supreme Court justice. Some argue that a justice should be held to the highest standard of conduct, while others consider the protection of juveniles in the legal system. I believe it plays a significant role because you are smart enough when you're a teenager, especially in college. I'm a college student. I know very damn well not to shove random penises in people's faces or expose myself untowardly that is not a case of youth all trust me please believe me when i say that all teenagers do not go around showing their genitals to poor victims we are not all like that that is just him and i feel like there was something going on that let him be elected so last one amy coney barrett and this is about a cult she's in a cult Amy Coney Barrett's father, Michael Coney, and his new role within the Pope of Praise, POP Christian sect, raised concerns. Survivors of alleged childhood abuse within the People of Praise expressed concerns that Michael Coney, recently promoted to a new role in the sect, may attempt to block information about the group's historical handling of sexual abuse from becoming public. That's wild! Michael Coney a Louisiana-based lawyer, and Amy Coney Barrett's father has been appointed as the group's new legal counsel and is asked to lead a consultation team. So there's a shakeup. He's a broader shakeup, and he will definitely compromise 55 members who grew up in the sect. 
They see his elevation as troubling and suggest it could create a conflict of interest, potentially allowing him to influence information released about the sex handling of abuse and release of information. There's a conflict of interest and lack of transparency, and there has been previous efforts to shield Barrett. It is noted that the people of praise sought to erase all mentions and photos of Justin Barrett from its website before her meetings with lawmakers during her nomination to the Supreme Court. Typical cult behavior. And there's a misuse of authority. According to Nero Farbug, an active POP member from the inside sent a letter to the all-male Board of Governors challenging Coney's appointment. She turned against her own to cite concerns about misuse of authority, lack of transparency, and mistrust of the board. So, a background, basically, while I'm ending. It was founded in the 1970s and is a Christian charismatic movement that has prophecies and speaks in tongues, and women are expected to be obedient to male authorities. And basically, as you can tell, that led to a bunch of abuse currently being like examined by the FBI. So I'm going to close out with this, um, with the sexual and physical abuse. I'm going to close out with these Supreme Court judges are so problematic and clearly opinionated, which a justice is literally supposed to not be. So there will probably be more information that comes out and controversy that perhaps will hopefully lead to these people being elected out and subpoenaed. Our justice system needs to be cleansed and returns into the hands of empathetic, aware, and non-partial individuals who truly care about the American people without some hidden agenda or grimy backstory like cold sexual assault, dealings, tax aversion. We don't want it anymore. We're tired of it. And unfortunately, I'd love to talk to you all more, but we are out of time for today's show. As always, we express our gratitude to Star Style Productions, Cynthia Bryan, Be The Star You Are, and our Voice America Empowerment crew, especially our audio engineer, Jordan. Thanks to our guests from across the world, and a huge thank you to our listeners for making us a top-rated program. For more information about Be The Star You Are charity, visit www.bethestarur.org. Find us on Instagram at Express Yourself Radio. We will continue fighting for women everywhere. Don't give up just because of a few setbacks. Always remember to speak up, speak out, and express yourself. Thanks for joining us this week on Express Yourself. Produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, be sure to visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific time, 3 p.m. Eastern, when teens talk and the world listens on the Voice America Kids channel. Until then, remember to express yourself. Stars to shine between the lines if you would let yourself.